Today we consider how we can be a little more intentional about making progress in our life by clarifying our purpose and priorities. Welcome to Run With Horses. My name is Norman and my goal is to help you thrive as a follower of Jesus. There are a lot of moving parts to the journey, but our foundation is built on the solid rock which does not move. Keep your eyes on the prize and keep making steps forward on your spiritual journey. You know, last week we talked about all of the year-end activity, all of the holiday, just busyness. And what goes along with that often is some discouragement and depression. It's a little bit surprising to me (laughs) to think that it is so common because many people do put on their best face during the holidays. They're at least pretending to be excited to get together with friends and family and parties and all those kind of things. But if you're around people who are producing it, who are in the middle of you know, baking lots of cookies and getting the house ready and all the decorations and having to do the shopping, I, you can kind of understand why that little bit of uh, overwhelming feeling hits so many. And then there are people who the holiday busyness contrasts so much with their normal loneliness and isolation that it, it makes that stand out more. So we talked some about that last week. Well, this week, as we're thinking about the end of the year drawing closer, you know, Christmas gets closer, and there's still parties to get ready for and go to, and New Year's gatherings maybe that wait for you. As you're thinking about the end of one year, a lot of people reflect. There's time for considering what has happened, what you've gone through in the last year, but then also looking forward to the next year and kind of wondering, is last year going to be a replay of or is next year going to be a replay of last year? Because I don't necessarily want that. And particularly if your last year was not great, then you might be a little discouraged. You, you might not really want to see more of the same. And what I want to do today is encourage you that it doesn't have to be more the same, even if your circumstances don't necessarily change. And it's true for all of us that you don't have a lot of control over your circumstances or the people around you. You have a lot of control over your response to your circumstances and your response to the people around you. So even though this next year might not be a new start as far as your location or your job, your circumstances that you go through each week, or the people that you're going to spend time with every week, it can be a big change in you. And I think that's what we should really seek after and strive for. The problem, of course, when we think about that is that, and it sounds kind of oversimple, but change requires change. <laughs> that's, that's the problem, right? There's a desire on some levels to be different, for things to be different than they are, for me to be different than I am. But we develop routines, we develop habits, and those habits don't really contribute to change. They fight against it at every level. And if you're like most people, you, you have spent a lifetime developing habits that you're comfortable with, even though many of them may not be good for you, 
you have developed those habits and they then begin to exert a lot of influence and control over how you live your life and how you spend your time. You know, a simple example is something like exercise. You know, I go back to that a lot because the spiritual life is a lot like our physical exercise. You have to be intentional. It doesn't happen by accidents. It's really easier if you prepare, if you know what you're going to do, and if you have goals. At least it works that way for me. Well, if you have developed a habit over how many years of your life of not including exercise as part of your life, but you've managed to feel every day, then when someone tells you you've got to stop and put in 30 minutes of exercise at least three or four days a week, you know, maybe it's your doctor says, okay, you've got to do this. Well, if your life's already full, then you say, well, I, that's an hour and a half, two hours a week. Where does that time come from? Oh, it requires change. Adding it is change, yes, but to change your life to provide the time for that to occur also requires change. And it ultimately is going to require some examining of your life and your current schedule and examining your priorities. And one thing that I often see, and this is true at, at all levels from just an individual who works a factory job to a pastor or a CEO, we often get to the point where what drives our schedule is not necessarily our priorities, but a combination of tradition and things that are seem to be most urgent. So when we evaluate our schedule and say, well, I need to do something about my exercise, and it's important, and it's urgent. It is now a high priority, partly because it wasn't before, side note. Now it is, and now I have to change something, but I'm not prepared for that. I'm comfortable with my routine as it is. I'm comfortable getting up at the time I do, going to bed at the time I do, eating what I do, and I have my routine. Well, you have to change. And that's where the rubber meets the road across the board when we examine where we are and where we want to be. We got where we are by following a certain routine, a certain schedule, by following certain traditions, and we develop these habits. And that's how we got here. Well, habits, once they are really ingrained, are hard to break. It requires change. So what I'm going to kind of start with and recommend that you start with, if you're serious about change, and particularly, I, I think this is true, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is true across the board in your life. This is where I would say you start. But particularly when you're th thinking about your spiritual life, where do you start? Well, I'm going to suggest two things, prayer and fasting. And I know that most of us don't really consider fasting something that's a normal part of our life. It probably should be. But at best, we consider it occasionally. But particularly at this time, this is the kind of life event circumstance that I think fasting really is, is built for, is made for. We need to do something different, particularly in our spiritual life. Well, to dedicate some time to prayer and fasting and asking a few questions. You know, as you're fasting, one of the things you're doing is providing more time for prayer. 
So what exactly are you praying about? Well, it's great to spend more time praying about the things that you already do. Hopefully you have a good list of the people in your church. You know who they are and you know what their needs are, and you're praying for them. You're praying for their spiritual growth. Uh, you're praying for their life circumstances and, and all of those things. But when we think about our life and the need to change, there's a couple of questions I think can help us. One is, what is God doing in you right now? The need to change, that thing that motivates you, is something that's happening. Usually it's something that God is doing in you. The start of this process of really embracing the change, not fighting it every step of the way, is to get on the same page that God is. One way to do that is to ask, what is God doing in me? You know, as we read the Bible, one of the reasons it's so important to be consistent in reading large chunks of the Bible, read through the Bible every year, every two years, every three years, whatever your routine is, read through it consistently because you really begin to get a feel for who God is and what God loves and what God hates. And you see over and over again the work that God is doing in us. You know, God's, God's molding me into the image of Christ. Now, where I am at, where you're at, and where you are at over time changes. So I'm not the same person I was five years ago, ten years ago. And hopefully I'm not the same person I will be next year and the year after. So regularly, it's worth stopping and saying, God, what are you doing in me right now? What is that thing that you're trying to break down, a barrier that I have put up against you? Or what is that thing that you're drawing me toward? Ask that question as you pray and fast and focus on God. What is God doing in you? And then part of this question that's, I think, really helpful almost all the time, but particularly think about our life and change, because we don't live in a vacuum. We live in community, both in a real physical community neighborhood, but also in a spiritual community in your church to ask, God, what are you doing in the people around me? It's something we don't often think about. What is God doing in the people who are around you? That includes maybe when your church gets together and you're sitting near other people. What is God doing in those people's lives? How well do you know them? That, that's important. But also, what is God doing in the life of the person at the checkout counter? What is God doing in the life of your neighbor? What about your coworker? It's worth stopping when you think about the change that God's working in your life to ask God, what are you doing in the life of other people? And then you're going eventually to need to ask that question, God, how do you want to use me to influence these people around me toward you? And that's true for both believers and unbelievers. There are people who know God, who are following Jesus, but they still need that little bit of encouragement. They need something from you as part of the body of Christ to help them, to encourage them. How does God want to use you in the life of fellow believers this year? It's a question that's worth asking and worth asking seriously. You know, I think it's, uh, it's worth living a life that really is focused on first God, but also other people and considering how God has made me and equipped me to build up His church. 
So when you think about these three questions, you're really trying to put yourself in that space where you're easy for God to use. So the three questions, God, what are you doing in me? Second question, God, what are you doing in the people around me? And the third question, how do you want to use me in the life of these other people? Those are really good questions. As we start the year and you think about the change that needs to occur in our life, it's probably going to be related to those three questions, the deepest change that we really need. Now, there are surface things. There are uh, ways that that will work out, certainly, and we'll talk about that. But we have to start with the big picture. God's doing something, and He's doing something in us and through us. Now, when we think about that, and before we get to the point of really even talking about goals or objectives in our life, I'm going to say there's two kinds of goals that you want to recognize. And even as you're praying toward this, recognize that there's two things going on because God's at work and God's inviting you to be at work. So there are work goals, and we'll call those what you can do. (laughs) You get to make choices every day about how you spend your time about who you engage with, about how you engage with them. They're work goals. You can make goals about what you plan to do this year. But parallel to that, and more important than that, there are faith goals. There are things that only God can do. And there are things that He tells us that He is doing. So we need to recognize those things and be really willing to surrender our goals to his goals. So there are work goals, what you can do, faith goals, what only God can do. And I encourage you, as you're praying, as you're thinking about what God's doing in you, what God's doing in the people around you, think about both kinds of goals. Because realistically, you can only control the work goals, but you can pray for both of those. Part of the prayer for the work goals is, God, give me the right goals. Help me to see the things that I need to change. But for the faith goals, God, help me to see where you're working. God, help me to get on board. God, do that work in my neighbors, in my coworkers. Do that work that only you can do and show me where you're working so that I can get on board. So work goals, faith goals. When you think about praying, let me invite you as part of that, asking those three questions. What is God doing in you? What's God doing in the people around you? And how does God want to use you in those people's lives? It's often helpful to start with the big picture. Pray about the big needs that you see in the world. God tells us what they are in His Word. You know, it's it's very obvious. Most people need to know Jesus in a real and personal way. I mean, the evidence of that is in the news every single day. The problem is, how, how often do we really pray about it instead of just complaining about it? I think that's often where we stop. We, we read the news. We hear the stories of things that are going on in our town, uh, in our church, in our country, around the world. And we complain about it and we'll say that's not right. But we don't really spend real time praying about it. 
Maybe we do some things. If there's certain kinds of things, certainly we do. But in general, we watch the news and complain about the state of our country, complain about our neighborhood and complain about our neighbors rather than pray about the problem and for the people. This is part of the people that we want to be praying for when we think about the work that God's doing in others. Not just to complain that they're not doing right, but to pray that God would do that work that only He can. So when you look around you and you see evidence that there's a real need for people to know Jesus, we need to break that down into the people in our life, the people around us, and say, where do we see the evidence of this need in the people we come in contact with every day? How can we pray for those people? Now, I think one thing that happens when we begin to do that, God works in our heart, and we should begin to pray and ask the question, who are the people working to meet those needs? The needs of my coworkers, my neighbors, the people in my city. Who's working to meet those needs? Who's working to introduce them to Jesus? It's very obvious that they need to know Him. It's, it's obvious that they need a relationship with Him. But who is actively engaged in trying to meet those needs, in introducing them to Jesus? So naturally, we should end up saying, God, we need more workers. Jesus himself said, pray for workers. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more harvest workers. So pray for workers. As you think about the people in your neighborhood, the people you work with, and you think about the real genuine needs that they have, spiritual and physical, uh, maybe you live in a city that has a large homeless population. Who's working to meet the needs of the homeless, spiritual and physical? Pray for them. Maybe the next step would be get to know the workers in the harvest fields around you. You might know some of them. It might take some digging to find out who others are. And you might find out that there are people with a need in your community and you can't find anybody who's really reaching out to them. Hmm. What does that say? (laughs) You've noticed a need. Now what can you do about it? As you reach out and encourage the workers in the harvest field, one of the things you should be asking both them and God is, God, how can I help them? How can I encourage them? If you don't know, it's not an obvious answer, well, then one, pray for wisdom. God, I'm praying for these workers. Uh, Give me wisdom to know how I can encourage them. But then go and Ask those workers how you can help them. If you know people who are working in the harvest field, people who are serving in your community, who are really working to see those around you come to know Jesus, go and ask them what, I, what you can do to help. Find out what your part in the struggle is. Uh, there's a quote that you probably have heard before. I don't know where it comes from. We said, if not now, when? If not you, who? I think this is part of this process of praying and asking God to develop in us a vision, not just for a better next year, but for a better me. I want my life to be in line with God's year, God's vision for me. 
God's molding me, changing me into the image of Christ. He's also working that same work uh, in people in my church family. He's working to draw people in my community. So if I want to have the best life that I can, if I want to have the joy that God intends for me to have, if I want to really connect with the purpose that God has for me, then I need to ask God to give me that burden and that vision for His work. Do you really want to have a better year next year? And that's what we're talking about. You know, a lot of people, they get to the end of the year and they say, well, last year wasn't as good as I would have wished. (laughs) I'm not as happy about it. Uh, I'm just not thrilled with the way things have gone, both in my community and my own life. Well, if you really want to have a better year next year, the number one thing I can say is to really pray and ask God how you can serve others more and better next year. Because often what's so depressing as we think about our own life is that we're spending all this time tearing our own life down to the the finest little details and we're not happy about all those little details. I don't think God intends for us to dwell on every little detail in our life like that. You want to have a better year? Turn your attention from yourself to God and connect with His vision for the world. It's not easy. And that's one of the things I think that we make a mistake as we consider, you know, I'm, I'm kind of discouraged and depressed about my life or about the way things are going And we wish life were easier, but I don't think that's really what gives us joy. It's not having an easy life. It's having a meaningful life. It's having a life with some purpose. So you're not necessarily going to look at this process and say, well, hey, I'm prayer and fasting. That just, that sounds kind of hard, and it is. Really pursuing God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's, that's difficult. Absolutely, it is. Caring about other people because, you know, people, they're rude. <laughs> they're kind of self-serving. Uh, they can, can really be dangerous. Absolutely, it's true. But... When we begin to serve other people and see God working in their lives, when we really get our attention off ourselves and wondering when I'm going to change and begin to help other people to change, then I think we put ourselves in a position where we really can change. We really can look at our life and see that God is doing something with me. God is using me. And I think there's a lot of joy there. And you can make efforts to do things for yourself. You can try to get a better job, make more money, have an easier life. Realistically, the people that I know personally who do really well financially, uh, a lot of them are just not a lot happier than anybody else. And in many cases, they're actually less happy. They have more stresses. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny, but if you make enough money and have enough stuff, then it's kind of stressful because then you might lose it. And it seems like the stress of protecting your stuff is almost worse than that stress of not having it and trying to get it in the beginning. Having money, having things 
after a certain point, if your basic needs are met, that's not where your joy is going to come from. If we could recognize that before we get there, then I think we'd be a lot better off. I saw a quote recently, and I don't remember who said it. It was a famous actor, and he said, it's unfortunate that so many of us thought that we would get to that top and that that would solve all our problems and we would be happy and, and everything would be great and we'd be satisfied. It's unfortunate that we have to get to the top before we recognize that that's not true. <laughs> and you can tell people once you've got there that this is not going to satisfy you. Those other people who are on that same path trying to get to the top, you can tell them, yeah, that's not really going to do what you want it to do. But they won't really listen and can't understand it until they get there and they're also not satisfied. I think that's true. It's true for whatever dream that you have, whatever thing that you have in front of you that you think is going to make you happy. It could be a new car. It could be a new house. It could be a new job. Uh, It doesn't matter what it is. If you're looking for something, something out in the world to make you happy, to make you satisfied, it's not going to do it. So as you get to the end of the year and you're thinking back and wondering, man, I, it just didn't turn out like I'd hoped. <laughs> it's probably a sign that what you hoped for was not in line with what God is working in your life. And to get to the end of the year and be able to say, this is a good year, I think is to be in that place where God is using you and you're seeing God use you. You're seeing fruit in your life as you invest in other people. And then you can say, well, it's not that everything in life was fun this year. Or that it was easy. Or that I had everything that I wanted necessarily. But I can say, hey, God did some some pretty cool things this year. I can see how he's changed some lives. I can see how he's using some of the things he's doing in me to help somebody else. That's pretty satisfying. When you can look back and and say that about your year, that is clear evidence that God grew you and used you some in the past year. That's a pretty good evaluation of a year. And it's a pretty good platform to look to the next year because we want to build on the victories that we have. We want to build on the things that we learn. If you had a bad year, you're not forced to stay there you can change. You can begin to look at all those things that happened, good and bad, the plans that you made that didn't work, the plans that you made that worked, and say, how can I use the lessons that I've learned to build and prepare for a better year next year? What are the changes that I need to make? And remember, the changes are going to take change. (laughs) So as you think about that, I'm going to take a quick break. And after a short break, I'll be back with some thoughts on how we can use some basic strategic planning principles to clarify that new direction for a new year in a way that can get us excited about what God is doing. You know, it's, it's great to know that God is doing something. And it, it's not going to be up to me to mess it up or to succeed. I just want part of it. And if I can get on board and be part of what God's doing, then I can have a different evaluation next year. Be right back. 